When I was asked a, a few months ago to lead chapel, I went through the normal process of asking myself the question, now what do I say uh, to a bunch of seminary students that they haven't heard uh, 10 times before and uh, more eloquently? And uh, as I was uh, discussing and thinking to myself, um, I asked actually one of the uh, students here, uh, what have you heard lately? I don't want to uh, repeat what you've heard multiple times in, in the recent uh, history. And this uh, particular student said, um, well, you know what, the, uh, the people who have spoken uh, recently have spoken to us as students. How about bringing a message for the professors? So uh, what, uh, what, we're going to be what we're going to be considering today is... Uh, we're going to be considering today is actually a message for us all, right? It's something that we all need to hear, uh, young and old. So I'm going to be reading from uh, Titus chapter 3, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles. Uh, Titus 3, and I'll read the first uh, seven verses. Titus chapter 3, remind them uh, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And here's our focus. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that's as far as reading. Uh, in Titus uh, chapter three, last uh, last month when I was uh, preparing to uh, to come before you as a, as a group, I was uh, reading a passage out of uh, Lloyd Jones in his well known book of uh, preaching and preachers. In that particular book, uh, Lloyd Jones told uh, told the story of when he was asked uh, to preach at Oxford, and in this story told by uh, Lloyd Jones, he relates the following: After finished uh, my preaching. I met together with a group of highly intelligent students, and the critique of one of these students went something like this, Dear Sir, the message that you just preached could have been preached at any country church. It was so simple. Don't you think we should have had a more eloquent message? Uh, Lloyd-Jones responded by saying, I'm sorry, I thought you were all ordinary and common human clay. I thought that you were all miserable sinners who need the gospel just like everyone else. Well, when, I, when I read those words, I knew exactly what I needed to bring to you, brothers, today, uh, brothers and sisters, is the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Uh, our reading from Titus uh, chapter 3 is one of the most simple and yet profound passages in Scripture, uh, a gospel, a message that is contained in three simple words. If you distill the section, uh, particularly in verse uh, 5, you'll find one main subject, verb, and object. If I were to summarize this for you, it's in three words. He saved us. Uh, so the message that I bring to you today is not just for the professors, it's for the students, it's for us all. Uh, the message of Jesus Christ, He saved us. The message is for miserable sinners who need good news. Uh, so first of all, who is the he that Paul states in verse 4? 
In verse 4, he starts by saying, The goodness and loving kindness of our God, a Savior, has appeared. He saved. Now, most of us, when we think of the Savior, we tend to think of Jesus Christ. But there's a slight change in focus in verse 5 and following. I submit to you that as we read verse 5 and 6, we will see that the same one who is saving is the one who has renewed by the Spirit and poured out riches upon us through Jesus Christ. Indeed, if we parse these words, we will find a very intricate development that we are saved by a saving God. And the God who saves is the triune God. Each person of the Trinity in their respective work is here found in these short verses. He is God, our Savior, the God who saves, verse 5, the God who richly blesses us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So in case we missed the point, Paul repeats this again and again. The one who saves is the saving God, and it is God who must act. It is God who must work. It is by His hand and His hand alone that salvation can be found. As that great hymn says, not what my hands have done. It's not my works. It's not my righteousness. No, it is God, our saving God, who saves. In referring to God as our Savior, we know that this salvation comes from the Father, the fountain source of every good and perfect gift. It is the Father who in His goodness and loving kindness performs this work, pouring out grace upon us upon the Spirit, through the Spirit and through the Son. Grace and peace come to us. As verse one, as chapter one, verse four opens from God, our Father. It is the Father who loves us and sends His Son to earth to die in our place. But how does God, our, our saving God, save us? Well, what does He do? The various aspects of our salvation is multitude, starting with our regeneration and renewal in verse 6, so that we might be born again, sanctified by the Spirit, justified by His grace, verse 7, declared righteous based on the works of Jesus Christ. We become heirs, adopted as children, welcomed into the family of our God, made sons and daughters of the living God, anointed by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who has poured upon us, making us prophets, priests, and kings. We are heirs with the hope of eternal life, citizens in the kingdom that is to come, pilgrims on a journey to our eternal homes. When we put all these aspects together, we find justification, sanctification, regeneration, renewal, anointing the work of our triune God. Salvation, as you know, comes from the word sozo, in case you are interested, it's an aorist active indicative. It can mean healing, deliverance, freedom, and rescue. It is something that our God does graciously to us. Washing of regeneration and renewal. This is a parallel symbol of baptism. We're born again by the Spirit, washed with the water and the Word, washing away the impurity of our souls so that new life and abundant life can be found within it is the Spirit who enables us to have life and knowledge, who applies the works of Jesus Christ and gives us a new heart so that we who have been born again might be renewed, that we might grow in holiness and obedience as the Spirit molds us and crafts us and sanctifies us in the image of Jesus Christ. So we find the Father washing us and renewing us through the Spirit, the Spirit who is poured out through us as verse 6 poured out to us, as we find in verse 6, through Jesus Christ. It is the Son and His prayer as He intercedes for us from the right hand as we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, Jesus Christ continues to pour out His grace and Spirit upon us. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church. We have the down payment 
of our eternal life. We're made heirs, sons and daughters of the living King. We are anointed. We share with Christ in his anointing so that we become prophets, priests, and kings. And in fact, the Son is called our Savior at the close of verse 6 as well. So the one who saves is the triune God who is the God who saves by the shedding of Jesus' blood and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. As we find in 2 verse 13, the peering of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So salvation is a work that God performs from beginning to end. From calling, justification, sanctification, adoption, redemption, every aspect of our salvation is a work that our God performs. But that raises the next question, who is it that is being saved? And what are we being saved from? Well, the focus of our phrase concludes, He, being our triune God, saved us. Who is the us? Well, the us here is the church. It is the saints, those whom God has chosen, the elect of chapter 1. But more than that, it is not just those who are saved. God saves those who need to be saved. The immediate context in verse 3 makes it very clear that salvation is something which is needed. Because we are the ones who by nature are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, hated and hating one another. So to be very clear, who is the, reception, who is the recipient of this salvation? Who receives this grace? It is those who are sinners. He saves sinners. He saves people like you and me. People who are by nature foolish, disobedient, rebellious. You can't read these verses and come away with an exalted view of the self. We need to be saved. And this is something that our gracious God does. He saves us from our sins. He saves us from ourselves, from our sinful nature and our deserved death. As Paul would put it in Romans, there is no one righteous, no, not one. We all go astray. No one seeks after God. So the us in this verse is not a flattering definition of who we are. Rather, it's a quite humbling truth, confessing that we are the ones who need to be saved. But thank God that's not where we're left. We're not left in a state of sin and rebellion. Rather, we are now the saved ones. So not only are we needing to be saved, we are the recipients of this salvation. He saved us. He set us free. He delivered us. He ransomed us. He rescued us. That is the good news of the gospel. That is that old, old story of Jesus and his love. This is something that we all have to remember. We have to keep front and center. Man's deepest need and our most pressing problem that we face is this. We are all sinners that need to be saved. There are many things in the ministry that will take your time and effort. Things that could distract you. Many good things that you can fill your day with. But this one thing cannot be forgotten. And of all the various things that you might be called to preach about and concerning through your Lord willing years of ministry, this one message must not be lost in all the noise. He saved us. This is the gospel. 
Your greatest enemy that you face will not be from some group or movement or some ism in the world. Your greatest obstacle will be that of sin, the lie that says we're fine in ourselves, that we don't need help and we can do it by ourselves. No, he needs to save. This is the message that the people of the church, this is the message that the leaders of the church need to hear, need to remember, and they need to believe. This is the clear-sounding bell that must ring Sunday after Sunday, week after week, year after year. A simple and yet profound truth that all faithful messengers must proclaim. Jonathan Edwards is said to have a preaching style that was easy, natural, and very solemn. He did not have a a strong, loud voice, but he appeared and spoke with such gravity and with great solemnness. Quoted in his obituary, Edwards was known to be, in his preaching, and his preaching style, well-known, neither quick nor slow of speech. His language was full but not ornamented. He preached sermons to the common folk. He did not strive to impress with his knowledge. Rather, he spoke the simple and clear truth that even the most uneducated could grasp. The fact is we never graduate from the gospel. Stated in the common adage, maybe you've heard this, if you preach to the milkmaids, the doctors will be edified. Or or as Martin Luther put it this way, he is the best preacher who can teach in plain, childlike, proper, and simple ways. Sometimes we can make the simple truth of the gospel more complex than it needs to be. He saved us. Three words, yet such wonderful riches. So simple, the pure milk of the word that babes can be sustained. Simple and clear preaching is not dumbing down, nor is it avoiding the truth, but our goal is to keep the main thing the main thing. He saved us. Of all the things that we want our sermons to be, understandable is crucial. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Of all the messages that we want our congregations to hear, the fact that salvation is of the Lord must be plain. We confess the clarity of Scripture. Not simplistic, but clear preaching. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 4. Set the truth plainly as we are commending ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So preach with open statements the truth. It's true, as Peter would say, some parts of Paul's letters are hard to understand, but the gospel must be clearly, repeatedly, and forcefully proclaimed. He saved us. This is the good news that professors need to remember. This is good news that the students need to remember. This is good news that pastors need to remember that salvation is from the Lord. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for uh, this old, old story of Jesus and his love. We thank you for reminding us uh, that we never graduate or grow beyond this foundational truth, 
Uh, we do pray that we would, in humility, acknowledge that salvation is something that you need to do and that you have performed. We pray that whatever task or responsibilities we all have, that Jesus Christ and Him crucified would always be clear in our minds and in our speaking. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.